Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Today we're joined by Sander Mack, who's Director of Technology at Picnic. And for all of our uh, longer standing or longer listening um, engineers followers, you'd have seen that we featured Picnic back in 2020, where we spoke to their CTO, Daniel Gebler. For new joiners, they're a grocery delivery platform that services the Netherlands, Germany, and France. Today, we're going to be talking about a number of really interesting topics with Sander, particularly around their tech academy, customer excellence, and when to introduce new technologies to a business. Sander, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Edith. Thanks for inviting me. Do you want to give the listeners um, some insight into the Director of Technology role at Picnic and what it is that you do? Sure. So I joined uh, Picnic as part of the tech leadership team in 2019, so a bit over three years back. And uh, before that, I was active much in IT consultancy. I have a background as a Java developer. Um, also, um, gradually moved towards, let's say, a architecture and management role. And at that point, I learned about Picnic. I was quite blown away by what the company actually did. And uh, I was already a customer, so I was really, really excited to join this scale-up in the Netherlands. Um, and, and what I saw there is that there's an amazing team and they're doing great work, um, but they're also scaling super fast, right? So um, I was, I believe, number 60 in the team when I joined in the tech team. Wow. And by now, we're well over 300 people. So you can imagine that a lot has happened, both on the technical side, but also, let's say, on the team organizational side of things. Um, and I've uh, I've been able to contribute on both. Um, so especially in the early years, focusing very much also with uh, the store teams uh, to see how we can actually support this, this growth and this scaling. Um, but also um, uh, noticing that as we grow as a team, uh, we need to do so in a sustainable manner. So also setting up, as you mentioned, for example, the Tech Academy, which is pivotal, as we'll discuss later in our strategy to, to keep growing um, our, our people and our team uh, in terms of knowledge and in terms of uh, a diversity of experience. Um, so these are initiatives that, that are not directly, let's say, hands-on technical, um, but that do contribute to, to the continued growth and the sustainable, let's say, future of Picnic in, in our tech team. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the Tech Academy part. We're always having discussions on engineers around uh, engineering levels, building out features, system designs, et cetera. So I'm really interested to understand um, Picnic strategy and how we talk about that more. Grocery delivery platforms over the last 12 months, especially, have obviously hit our news and headlines for various reasons. Can you talk to us a little bit about Picnic and Picnic's offering and why you're slightly different some of these businesses? Yeah, definitely. So um, when people think of online groceries, they usually think of, let's say, the more quick commerce kind of players, right? Where you might order on a Friday night a snack or might yeah. offer uh, order a meal. Um, we're different in a sense that we want to make it fun, easy, and affordable to do your weekly groceries with us, to have them delivered to your home. 
And that is where, where we focus. So we support families. We, we free up their Saturdays so that they don't have to drive to the supermarket anymore and they can spend more time, let's say, out on the soccer fields or, or with the kids. And um, so what we, what we do is we, we have an app-only approach. So you have an app where you can do your weekly groceries um, in a super intuitive fashion, uh, also very data-driven, and where we can, of course, see what you did before and then help you in quickly putting together your weekly uh, groceries. Um, also have a lot of inspiration for you in the app in terms of meals and recipes and things that you might want to cook for your family. Um, and then uh, we, we uh, after you place the order, um, we deliver this to you. And we do this uh, using uh, electric vehicles that we operate ourselves. So these are sustainable small vehicles that are super tailored to uh, inner city logistics. And uh, this is what you get at the door. And uh, in that way, uh, you get your groceries, you get it at an affordable price because of course we don't have to run the stores like other supermarkets do. Uh, we can uh, directly from the supplier uh, deliver to you from our fulfillment centers. And uh, that is something that is, uh, like I said, it's, it's fun, it's easy, and it's also affordable for people to keep doing so and make this a habit that, uh, that sticks. Awesome. You, you hit the news as well over the last couple of years with a huge amount of funding from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And do you want to give us a little bit of insight into what that money, I think it was 600 million euros, will actually be used for both expansion, but also engineering as well? Definitely. So, um, the investment that we got uh, is indeed for these uh, for these reasons that you just mentioned, and we are, are are currently active in the Netherlands where we have a pretty broad coverage already. Uh, but in Germany, for example, we are currently only active in one region. So we are active in the uh, Rhine Ruhr region, which is close to the Dutch border. Uh, there's much more uh, people that we uh, want to uh, yeah help out with our services, right? So this is something that we uh, that we plan on doing and that we uh, want to. Yeah, give a big push on uh, in in the coming uh, let's say uh, coming time, uh, and obviously uh, putting uh, fulfillment centers in the country, um, buying these vehicles uh, to to drive around, it's all uh, all costing money. Um, but on the tech side, um, as you mentioned, um, we are also in a position where we now um, have much more automation than we ever had before in our fulfillments. Um, so the fulfillment center that I talked about, where we pick the groceries before they are delivered to a customer. Um, we started out with manual fulfillment centers where, where we have people doing this picking and making sure that the orders are correctly picked for the, for the customers. Uh, as you can imagine, um, if you want to scale and if you want to offer uh, yeah, even more customers uh, the opportunity to order with you, uh, automation is, is the key here. Um, so what we did in the past years is we developed a fully automated warehouse where we now have uh, in Utrecht, in the Netherlands, the first uh, first ever version of this uh, picnic automated warehouse uh, live. Um, but it also means that uh, a lot of robotization, a lot of automation means that we needed to develop a lot of software to control this. Uh, this is quite a different uh, feat to, to pull off uh, if you compare it to a manual warehouse. So that is also where we've invested heavily. And uh, this is also where we currently uh, yeah, are in a position to also roll this out in other places, of course, and make sure that uh, a huge country like uh, like Germany can also be served efficiently. Uh, I felt that from Daniel three years ago when I first discussed Picnic in the infancy of robotizing warehousing 
and mm-hmm. what it would actually mean. And I can feel that journey all the way through from robotizing a warehouse, building the software to make sure that it's maintainable, scalable, but also feeling how you're describing what the experience actually feels like for families through the app and then using electric vehicles to actually deliver the groceries. That experience feels really slick, seamless, sustainable. It's a great model. Yeah, so we're really happy with uh, with how this is uh, turning out. And this is also, by the way, uh, why the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation invested yeah. in us, right? So they are very big also on sustainable investments and, and Picnic is definitely leading the pack there. Uh, just to give you an example, I mean, of course, the, the electric vehicles are a, a very, uh, yeah, I would say uh, easy target here and they're they're obviously sustainable. But what we can also do, because we have this app-only approach and everyone orders uh, a couple of days ahead or for the next day, uh, we can be very precise in what we buy from our suppliers. So we have much, much less waste in our chain, for example, than a regular supermarket, which is another aspect of sustainability that people don't really think about too much when they hear about us. But that's definitely another benefit uh, that uh, that the model also brings. And, and so there's a few more of those. And uh, taken together, I think uh, you can definitely see uh, why, why the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation actually sees Picnic as a sustainable company. Yeah, I think when you actually put your mind to it, I've known one or two, not necessarily similar businesses in the UK, but have done elements to what Picnic have done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Food wastage, packaging is also really important. So I can understand the reasoning behind the investment. What what kind of orders are we talking about daily to, to give the audience some idea of some of the engineering challenges that you'll no doubt have to think about and obviously understand how you build and how you scale for. Yeah. So um, in in our countries, we have multiple of these fulfillment centers that I talked about. And you should think of on uh, uh, of every fulfillment center doing on the order of tens of thousands orders per day. So taken together, um, we have uh, uh, yeah, millions, millions of customers in these uh, combined three countries. Uh, and that's uh, it's a big feat to pull off, both on the organizational and the operational side, but also on the system side, as you as you indicate. Um, what you can imagine is that uh, every night we have a huge puzzle to make uh, in terms of how are we going to fulfill all these orders? How are we going to plan the routes so that we have our electric vehicles uh, yeah, put, out, uh, put out there in the most efficient manner? Um, so this is a, definitely a huge challenge. And in terms of scaling, uh, something that's... Uh, uh, yeah, we uh, we have uh, mastered and uh, we are now pushing forward also, like I said, in Germany and in France and then uh, maybe even more countries in the years to come. Well, good luck. Good luck. Uh, I know from speaking to you, you still remain hands-on and you've obviously spoken quite passionately about a refresh in technology and looking at your stack and how you actually think about introducing new technologies. And that's obviously quite key to some of your workflow and the core of the business. So getting it right, I imagine, is really important. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the tech changes that you've made and then also the decision making or the trade-offs that actually slide into that when thinking about introducing a certain technology? 
Yeah, definitely. So indeed, um, I, I, as I mentioned, have a background as a Java developer myself, so very much passionate about that still. Um, and if you look at the way we, we view technology, um, we are very deliberate about the technologies that we choose and that we use. So uh, we have a tech radar kind of approach that is uh, probably familiar with people listening already, but we also run this internally for our company where we keep an eye on emerging technologies but we're not necessarily going to jump on them because everyone else is doing, right? It has to make sense also in our context. And this is something that we continuously evaluate. Looking at our, our tech landscape, uh, it's actually remarkably, I would say, uniform and restricted. So we don't have uh, 30 different teams doing 30 different tech stacks. Uh, you could do this if you're like on the microservices bandwagon, et cetera. But there's enormous drawbacks there as well to having this sort of sprawl of, of tech. So our main tech stacks are Java-based and Python-based. But having this deliberate choice and having made this deliberate choice also means that you cannot go all in, right? So that you are also able to keep up with all the latest developments in the stack. So this means yeah. that we're running on the latest versions of these technologies, that we are very, very diligent in keeping up with that. Um, especially if you look at doing this at the scale that we're now, like I mentioned, we're over 300 engineers. Um, this is not a trivial thing to, to pull off. And what we also saw in the past two to three years is that we needed also to think very hard about how we can enable our product teams to keep doing uh, their work on this, this, uh, this yep. modern stack and the latest versions. And it turned out that you need a lot of automation to, to make this happen. So we're going a bit to a meta level now, but you also need to automate the upgrades in your stack. And you need, also need to have a path forwards that doesn't take time away from your product development teams, even though um, they know it's important. Uh, yeah, you know also that business priorities always trump technical priorities. So yeah. you have to make it as easy and as seamless as possible to, to upgrade your technology stack. And one of the cool things I think uh, that I also want to highlight here for this engineering audience is that we um, use a tool called Error Prone, uh, which is a Google open source project, which is exactly geared towards these kind of situations where you at scale uh, want to be able to rewrite your codes to newer versions of libraries, newer versions of, of a uh, language, Java in this case. And the reason why we can do this is because we also invested heavily in platform teams, because as I said, we have a relatively uniform tech landscape, which means that we can go all in. So for both the Python and the Java stack, we have dedicated platform teams that are working on this, this kind of tooling and that are enabling the other teams to move faster and to, to keep up with the latest uh, developments. And this tool, this, this error-prone tool, um, yeah, allows us to, in an automated fashion, express all of the rewrites, all of the upgrades, all of the sort of things uh, that you would otherwise have to do by hand and apply this across all of our code bases, uh, which I think is, uh, is a pretty cool, uh, cool achievement. Surely that is an insane reduction in time spent on actually doing that manually or, or to my ears it feels like it is for sure for sure so just to give you an impression some of the changes that we roll out um you're talking about changing tens of thousands of lines of codes across different code bases just at the flick of a switch rather than doing this by hand so that is definitely a massive win in terms of productivity um and what is really cool and i also want to share this is that we invested in this, but we also 
open source this recently. So a lot of these rewrite rules and a lot of this tooling around being able to do this at scale for Java code bases, we have open sourced as a, as a project called error prone support, um, which, which Picnic uh, actively still develops and heavily use internally. Um, but we're also seeing now other companies adopting this. So uh, if you are a developer in a company using a Java tech stack, highly recommend looking at this tooling and checking it out because it can save so much time and it can give you confidence to move fast and, and actually keep up with the latest uh, developments in your, in your tech stack. Yeah. I, I'm actually going to put that in a link below awesome. in all yeah. honesty and, and check it out after the podcast. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. Coming back to the tech radar, there's so much new technology that is always coming out there and available to engineers. Surely there has to be use cases in each of these technologies that are attractive to a business problem, let's say. How do you then actually make that decision on that technology is not right for us or that is right for us? What are the mm -hmm. factors that you need to take into consideration? Because I can imagine this tech radar is constantly filled with new things that you could introduce into your stack. Yeah, so of course, uh, we, we all know that the tech world is moving super fast, uh, which means that uh, you can do a lot of things, but there's only so much time. So what we have is, is we have a group of dedicated people who want to keep up with this in terms of filling the stack radar. But then there's also another group of people, or at least an overlapping group of people um, who follow along and, and also try to apply and see what does this mean for my team, for my products, for my, my business uh, counterparts. And what we often see happening, and we also highly encourage this and, and want to facilitate this as a tech team, is that we take the time to do uh, small experiments with new technology. Because only if you start using it uh, for real yeah? and, and not just reading about it and not just uh, looking at the documentation, but really just putting together a small prototype or just a small uh, um, yeah, trial, uh, only then you can decide together um, uh, whether it makes sense to to make, take the next step. Got you. Okay. Uh, I feel like we can dovetail quite nicely, actually, into the, the Tech Academy talking about technology, and then we can circle back to customer excellence because there's a couple of really interesting things that I want to touch on there about how data-driven you are. But the Tech Academy... Lay that out for us. What, what does that look like at Picnic and how much are you investing into that? Yeah, happy to do so. So as a startup, you don't really have any choice. You start hiring people with experience. They need to hit the ground running. Uh, you have an MVP to deliver and you have to find your product market fit. Um, that's all fine. But at certain points, uh, you start scaling, you start hiring more and more people. And it gets harder and harder to find these exact matches, right? People who are perfect fit for your stack, perfect fit for your team. And then the question becomes, what do you do? Do you double down and just try harder? Or do you think a bit beyond that and think about, okay, but what can we do as a team to actually mm -hmm. enable people who might not yet be as experienced to grow into a, a role where they fit a picnic in this case? And roughly one and a half, two years ago, um, we actually decided, okay, that is what we want to do because we're now at a size that we can also support people. So what I did is uh, together with a few other people is uh, launch this Tech Academy initiative. And the main idea is that we want to enable uh, also to hire people just right out of their 
computer science study and join us. Now, obviously, uh, joining a team uh, out, of, uh, out of school, it's challenging, right? So what we did here is we, we put together a program that has three main elements. So the first element is that we, in the first months, uh, offer them training on the particular technologies that Picnic uses. So of course, uh, you can know Java, but that doesn't mean that you can actually build software at Picnic because we have our own way of using it. We have our own libraries and frameworks that we use. So we have a training program that people can latch onto. And we uh, actually have uh, some internal trainings for that, but also are working with external, let's say, uh, luminaries in the, in, the, uh, in the tech worlds to, to do this training. So that's part one. Um, but then you're not there yet. The second part of this tech academy is that we also invest in these people by having dedicated mentors in, in the teams that they will be placed in. So we reserve time for them to actually work with seniors, to pair up, to do uh, uh, like pair programming, but also review pull requests together, uh, talk about technology in the applied context of the team, and just give everyone space for that. So you're not expected to for 100% start diving into your team's work and, and start contributing from the from the first day. But you actually get the room to grow and to, to be mentors in that way. And as a third pillar of, the, of this program, um, we also understand that everyone's different. Everyone, ha everyone has a slightly different background. So you might also want to just uh, do a bit of self-study and then fill some of the knowledge gaps that you see uh, once you are starting out at Picnic uh, yourself. So we offer access to a learning platform with lots of content, lots of books, and, and anything that you uh, might want to access as, a, as an engineer, you get access to if you uh, join us through, the, uh, through this uh, tech academy. So by putting these three elements together, uh, we've been able to successfully onboard many junior engineers. And uh, we actually launched this program January last year. We've had two uh, groups completing this program last year and, uh, and another group starting uh, actually last month. Uh, so for us, it has been a great experience um, because people who are eager to learn, who are enthusiastic, uh, but just don't have the work experience yet, and they have a super hard time uh, usually in the in the uh, in the hiring markets. And by offering this, um, yeah, we give them an opportunity to grow much much faster than they would otherwise. What, what did you learn, or what did picnic picnic learn from this process? That's a great question. So uh, on the one hand, what we uh, learned is that uh, I mentioned three elements to this program um, is that the mentor actually ties it all together, right? So it is very important to, to have people within the company who are willing to also invest a bit of their own time into others. And once you do that as a mentor, um, I've seen a lot of uh, people actually really enjoying this, really also seeing that they can themselves act as sort of a multiplier for, for the team. Um, but this is really key. Uh, we can put all the trainings out that we want. We can put all of the learning material out that we want. But if there's not someone who's really invested in your success uh, when you join a company as a junior, um, then, then, yeah, it still doesn't work out. So that is definitely something that we've uh, we've learned along the way the uh, the importance of mentoring here. I think onboarding and training for any engineer at any company is a challenge or something that you have to get right or you know as a business you have to get right. So bringing in people who are new to uh, let's just say a commercial technology environment 
must be quite challenging, but successfully deploying, if you like, two teams last year and going again, that's great. And and honestly, it's it's a sustainable route. It, it can power sustainable growth going forwards. Seems like you've got the formula right. So well done. Exactly. Thanks. And, and we're really happy with the results that we're seeing indeed. Good. Let's come back to the customer excellence part, because I know that there is a huge emphasis on technology supporting your runners. And I know that's a picnic term and you can tell the audience about uh, what mm-hmm. runners are, but help us understand a couple of elements. Being data-driven, a service coach, and your real-time rules engine, these three things would be really great to explore. Yeah, of course. So it's important to understand that we only have two real touch points with our customers, right? So the first one would be when they open our app and start using the app. Uh, And the second one is the only actual physical contact that that we have between customer and picnic, which is when our our runner, which is the term that we use for the person driving the electric vehicle, arrives at your home and, and hands you your groceries. Now it's, very important to make the most of both of both of these uh, these touch points because in the end the way people uh, experience this really shapes the way they perceive your service and whether they come back or not so zooming in on this the second touch point so these these runners that arrive at your home obviously they need to arrive at the right address they need to have the right or uh, groceries etc these are all like the table stakes um but we want to go beyond that. So we, we build a system for that. We have a, a runner app that we uh, developed ourselves that does the navigation, that makes sure that everything is uh, uh, fetched correctly and delivered correctly. But we want to go a step beyond that and also personalize sort of the service that the runner can give to the clients. This is where the service coach comes in. So what we do um, at Picnic is that we also maintain sort of a broad picture of what, uh, what the journey of a customer has been so far. So you can imagine that sometimes um, something goes wrong with an order, right? You might have gotten a a lesser quality product uh, the previous time. And what we do through the service coach is make sure that all of this data that comes from quite a few different systems in our landscape is bundled and is presented to the runner in such a way that they can use this in their conversations uh, with with client, with the customer. Um, So they can say, okay, well, maybe uh, you had some bad tomatoes last time. Um, by the way, we put a free packet of new tomatoes in there. We hope you enjoy it. And uh, please let us know if it doesn't work out this time either. Something like that. And, and there's, there's tons of kind of flows that we have in our backend systems that trigger these kind of events, these kind of uh, things that happen in the customer journey. And this is where this rule engine that you mentioned uh, comes in. Because ultimately, we don't want to burden our development team with working out all of these events and flows, et cetera, and then putting this together and making up the rules of what to show in the service codes. Um, we very much want to enable our business counterparts at Pictic to, to do this. So what we did, we built a more generic rule engine that you as a business user can use to define if this happens and that happens, then this should be shown uh, to the runner in the service coach. Um, we're in a very simple format. Um, yeah, people can define rules to react uh, to a lot of things that can happen during an order, during a customer journey. 
And in this way, um, we're able to in a, in a, to able we're able to create a generic platform that can be used by our business um, to to define these kind of rules, which massively enhance the customer experience without all of these rules having to be hand coded by uh, by developers. Um, because as you know, I mean, there's only limited development time available, and there's lots of other things uh, that we also need to take care of as a tech team. So this is uh, on the one hand, uh, I would say an example of building a, a more generic platform towards the business. On the other hand, also uh, a very good example of how such a platform has been used, not to optimize internal processes, et cetera, but to really change the way uh, customers experience our service. Uh, I was going to ask that rules engine, for me, uh, it would feel quite complex to understand You know how that's being built. And you touch on it as in, that is so much business time that's being spent on potentially new roles as you continue to scale. So you mentioned it's a generic platform. Can you help me understand how how that actually works just in a little bit more detail? Yeah, of course. So um, many business analysts at Picnic, uh, they're not developers per se, but they do have a bit of knowledge of Python or JavaScript and, and they know how to script their way around. So what we build is uh, is an engine uh, where we, in a very structured way, expose all of the events that can happen within our systems, where business analysts can write small snippets of JavaScript code or Python code that we then host in a reliable and sort of uh, production-ready way in this uh, rules engine. And, and they don't have to worry about scaling it out or, or making it uh, resilient, making it uh, safe, etc. that is all taken care of by the platform. They only really have to think about what is it that I want to achieve. Uh, for example, uh, they may want to give a discount if, if three times in a row something did not go right with an order. Or they might uh, want to uh, incentivize people to order a bit more frequently and send a push message at some point. These are all things that you can, uh, as a business analyst within Picnic, uh, quite easily express as a rule, uh, as a p- snippet of code in this rule engine. Now, obviously, there might also be use cases uh, towards the future where uh, we even want to offer this to people who are not, let's say, as analytically analytically and and, uh, inclined and don't know any coding at all. So then you end up at more of a visual kind of tool. Um, In principle, we have all all the things in place to be able to support that if we want to if we want to move in that direction as well. That's pretty awesome. And I think taking that rule engine, taking that service and that data-driven approach, expanding that into new territories and countries, I think that level of service, I I feel, is unbelievable. And obviously, it's powered from the technology that you've built. And it feels like you've deeply thought about the experience that you want to give to customers in, in a technology format, but also in terms of like a business sustainability format with obviously the core of what what Picnic does as a business. It's exactly. awesome. And, and, and we need to do this because uh, as I mentioned, we're not just active in a single country, we're active in many countries uh, where we do want to run the same systems. Um, but as you can imagine, uh, yeah, customers, customer flows, customer interactions can differ of course, between regions, between countries. So by by abstracting away sort of this uh, this capability of uh, defining rules, um, we're able to give a lot of flexibility to our, our country-based teams as well, to uh, as they see fit for that uh, for that region. Yeah, good. Expansion's obviously key for you in the coming years. 
help us understand a way from the tech academy where you will want to grow some of your teams if you are looking to continue to hire. Obviously, lots of people listen to the podcast. They do express interests in businesses that they listen to. So it would be great for our viewership to understand a little bit more about Picnics 2023 and what you'll go on to hire and beyond that. Yeah, of course. So uh, just to start with the, uh, the questions you had about hiring, yes, we are still hiring. Uh, we actually have a lot of plans to, to grow and to build out our systems to support the, uh, the growth that you, uh, that you just mentioned. Um, so on the one hand, uh, our, our fulfillment centers that are fully automated, um, there's much more ambition behind the first one that we have uh, in the Netherlands to expand this uh, in, a, in a wider fashion as well. Also to iterate on the formats and to make sure that we, uh, as we roll out new fulfillment centers, for example, in Germany, that we keep improving, keep innovating there. Um, so yep. that's uh, definitely uh, an area of expansion. So uh, in, in practice, this means that we're still very much looking for uh, for talented Java developers to uh, to join our team, um, uh, Python developers as well. Um, as I mentioned, uh, those are our main stacks at the moment. Um, and if you look at uh, 2023 uh, as a whole, then um, France, Germany, and the Netherlands, um, they are all very much part of this uh, this expansion plan where we see that in the Netherlands, um, we are in a much more mature phase. Uh, and in, in Germany and France, there's still so much to explore, which means that you run into questions like, okay, what kind of payments me methods, for example, should we support if we go to a new country? Uh, which again, brings a lot of uh, cool challenges to, uh, to a lot of teams within Picnic uh, to, uh, to expand on that. And, and there's many more areas like that um, that needs uh, a lot of tech work uh, being done if you, if you go to, uh, to more countries. So uh, yeah, in short, yes, we're still growing and we're still hiring. Uh, are you only hiring technologists in Netherlands? We hire pretty widely, um, but we uh, do offer relocation. So I would say roughly 80% of our team is, uh, is non-Dutch, uh, so international. So in that sense, uh, we have a very diverse team and uh, we're not just uh, aiming to hire people from the Netherlands. Amazing. And obviously you've got some excellent plans hopefully this year for the tech academy where can we direct people to go to for just general career applications where's the best place so if you're interested in anything uh, that you heard and you want to see what's there um join.picnic.app is the site to go to um i also want to highlight that we have an engineering blog uh, at blog.picnic.nl which is also a really, really cool way to see what we are uh, working on and uh, yeah, sort of the cool challenges that we're tackling as a team. I'm going to attach that below for our viewership as well. Uh, and I think the uh, error-prone example will be in there as well. And I think that's really useful for people to be able to take that away and understand how they can actually automate some of these upgrades. That's pretty cool. Sandra, so I want to say a big thanks for coming to talk to us in Picnic version two. We had Daniel years back talk about robotizing warehouses and for you to give us what's happened in the last three years and where you're going over the next one, two years is awesome. And seeing some of the differences, even myself, is great. So I just want to say a massive thanks for, for coming to join us today. 
You're welcome. And uh, it was my pleasure. And for everyone else listening, like, share, subscribe, show friends. They've obviously got some awesome opportunities that are Netherlands-based or Amsterdam-based. We can offer relocations. And if you are looking to step into technology, we've spoken a little bit about the tech academy that Picnic have launched in 2022. So hopefully a really good opportunity for people. And thanks a lot and bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, Massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.